Okay then, here we are now with a brand new episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'm trying not to be too serious about this. I want to be real about this. I'm only going to speak as much as I can from personal experience. I don't want to fluff it up too much, although I can sense a tendency or a temptation to do so. I'd like to talk about the mechanics of war. And the other component of this is that love is a war. And these are not small things. These are not simple things in many ways. Of course, in some ways they are very simple. And this is important to me because it's personal and it's important to me because I believe it's important to everyone. And these things, these two giant aspects of the human condition, love and war, are things that we must know about. We must contend with them. They must be in the forefront of our consciousness, of our being, of our way of making our way through life, our our way of making our way through reality. So I don't think I have to say much more on the importance of love and war and I don't think I need to apologize for how simple a word such as importance is in comparison to the words love and war. And I'll try not to be too serious. I mean, I can hear myself becoming quite serious. It is something that lends itself to seriousness, a grave sort of tone of voice. And And really, that's justified. When we talk about war in any meaningful way, in any way that is really contending with what we're talking about, then, well, you do have to be serious. You do have to be grave. It's just the nature of the conversation. It's the nature of the the beast. And... For me, (laughs) for so long, love has been the same. Love has been that exact same thing. It has been the, the funeral march, the war memorial, the minute of silence, the fallen soldiers, 
the tragedy, the loss, the pain, the grief. (laughs) You might call me a hopeless romantic at this point. (laughs) And really, it's so important to see that these things, in a twisted way, are the same. Love and war are the same. And that's really one of the core pinnacles of my thesis today. It's one of the central things that I'd like us to tap into from a few different angles as we go along. But to start off with, just as a little working picture, love and war is connected because everything wants to be love. Everything is pushing towards love. Everything is growing into love. Dare I say, everything is evolving to love. Now, without getting into complex, far-ranging pictures of what love is and concepts of love and dynamics of love, we can just say that, well, this is important to understand because everything has an opposite Everything is defined by its contrast. And the contrast of love is war. You might say, well, it's hate. Well, yes, that's an emotional skewer that we can put on it. But for what we're working with, we say that love is everything. And everything is defined by its opposite, by its contrast. And in so many ways, we're connected because of love. We're at war because of love. We relate to each other because of love. We are in the situation that we are because of love. And that's just a working picture. Just take that as a quick sketch up of what we can see coming as these words unfold as we dig into this and as always we take our time we might have to back forth a few times and track around and talk in circles for a bit and another very big thing to understand and this is fundamental to all of this conversation is the difference between the personal and the collective and this is something we can talk at great length, but we can talk at great length on this, but simply I'd like to focus more on the personal and just keep in the back of your mind that, well, the personal and the individual is related to the collective, right? And just in a sort of cartoon way, we think of love as, well, that significant other. So, I love my girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, and so on. It's personal. It's individual. I love this person more than anything, right? And then war, in its most ABC definition, is, well, when countries go to war. You have these huge collectives, a huge crowd, a huge army fighting against 
another huge army. So in that, you have two of the contrasts. You have the love and the hate and the individual and the collective. So keep that in mind and that will become clear. If this isn't making sense to you, that that will become clear as we go through some examples and as we really chip away at this in different ways. Now, with love and war being connected and the individual and the collective being related, I'd like to say that there are only four things in war. There are only four components. We can say that these are the four principles of the mechanics of war. If we look at war and we say this is what's going on at any given moment, And these four things I want to become clear to you. And I want us to have very sharp lines where one begins and one ends. And actually approaching that line and crossing that line from one into the other will make them clear to you. So, I'm not sure if... There's anything else I'm missing at this moment which we need to proceed into the four principles of the mechanics of war. Let me just ponder for a moment. I might add that, I mean, you know, it's it's always the case in these conversations. It's always, I mean, everything I do really has an element of this. It's, it's personal to me in that, well, I'm talking about this now because I've been thinking about it. And I've been thinking about it because of the things in my life, personal things, personal relationships. So for me now, for quite a while, those things of thinking about ideas and having thoughts bounce around and how it affects my life, it's all been intertwined together. It's all been part of the the soup. And and I'm not going to share personal experiences because the details really are just well, they're just incidental to me, right? And what we're talking about are principles which are applicable to any narrative. We're talking, we're talking structurally here. We're not talking content. We're not talking specifics. We're talking mechanics. This is why it's the mechanics of war. It's not, the, it's not what war is. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the story of war. We're not talking about specific wars or anything like that. But the important thing to understand there is that there's a connection between principles and your personal life. There's a connection between saying, oh, this is an idea but it's not just going to be an idea that bounces around as that bounces around as thoughts in my head for a while it's actually an idea that's going to affect my relationships it's actually going to affect how i relate to people which means i might actually have to talk to someone in a certain way i might actually actually i might actually 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 have to 
think up something to say to this person and take initiative to go out of my way to bring it up with them. I might actually have to make a change in one of my relationships or more. I might have to actually truly step up like someone steps up to war, like the soldier does his duty in war. War is not a passive affair. War is not for bystanders. It's something that involves every aspect of one's life. When someone's at war, it's the thing that hangs over every single thing they do in a very active way. Now, I'd also like to talk about Osho a little bit, because many of the ideas that I'm sharing with you here in this moment come from him. So we will mention him a bit later on. And he really has the solution, I would say. If we can put war in and love in those terms as the problem of war and love, then well, he has the solution. He has the most profound way of contending with those things, which might be better than saying solving those things. I don't know if it's really a matter of solving those things. So he really has the deepest insights I've found into love. So his idea really comes in with the fourth principle of war that we'll talk about a bit later on. And, you know, just quickly, the thing that he says is, it has to penetrate your being. He has this phrase, penetrating your being. And he says this about his words. They're not just ideas bouncing around in your head. They're not just thoughts. They have to penetrate your being. They have to go inside your core, which is not the same as being inside your mind. And when that really happens, well, the things like going out and talking to someone, taking the initiative to change a relationship or improve a relationship or change a behavior or do an action or think up something to say, these, these all sort of things, they become actually the surface things. They're not the cause. They are the effect of having these certain ideas penetrate your being. And that's what I hope we can do. That's what I hope can happen with these four principles of the mechanics of war. So, four things that we can see in war. 
The first is diplomacy. This is actually one that didn't come to me till much later, and a friend had to say it to me. It was his idea. I was telling him about the three components of war, and I said, there's only three things it can ever be, and he said, well, there's one more thing you've forgotten, and that is diplomacy. And diplomacy, I mean in the most broad sense. I mean that in the personal sense. I mean that in conversation, in talking to someone, in telling something to someone, in getting to know someone by speaking with them and listening to them. That's diplomacy. Now, of course, diplomacy implies that there's something to be gained from the relationship, right? This is how countries relate. They want material gain. They want natural resources. They want trade agreements, these sorts of things. Now, on the personal level, we have the same thing. What do you want from your relationships? What do you want from working with someone? What do you want someone to do from you? Now, this gets into the whole psychological side of what's going on inside our transactional relationships and what's happening with the directionality of words between people and Fundamentally, the thing that's happening, and most broadly, is that we're moving towards shared understanding. Now, this actually does manifest itself in a lot of ways, and it's not all pretty. It's not all interesting. It's not all fun. It's not all nice. It might be something like, well, just agreeing with someone. Have you ever had those conversations where... The person just wants you to agree with them. Or for some reason you find yourself saying, oh yes, I agree with you. And you're not quite sure why it is that you're saying that you agree with them. Why it is you feel obliged to agree with them. There are people walking around with a psychology that demands you to agree with them. And there are little tripwires, there are little things that trigger them that draw you into that space of just agreeing with them. Do you agree? Don't you agree? I mean, you can agree with me right now, (laughs) by way of example. (laughs) And then another component of this is just the spreading of beliefs, or another side to diplomacy is just the spreading of beliefs. This is somehow related to agreeing, like I have these ideas, I have these beliefs, and as you listen to me talk, I want those ideas to be in you. I want those beliefs to be in you. Now, in that image, you see that the individual is really an agent of something they're not aware of. They're an agent of, they're a vehicle of something that's working through them. And there are so many belief structures 
that are like that. Belief structures and memes and psychological structures and paradigms, they have their own life form. They have their own way of behaving in that way. It's almost like they're a virus, right? You've heard that? Some ideas are a plague, yeah? Bad ideas can ruin good people, yeah? You've heard them say that sort of thing? Well, that's this sort of thing. That's the spreading of beliefs. And that's a kind of diplomacy which, well, it's unconscious. And then there's also telling. And this works for beliefs, but also for personal things. Like, let me, let me tell you about myself. I'm telling you what I am. I'm telling you what's significant to me. Now, think of that as a kind of relationship. Think of that as a kind of, like, if we could talk about love and war, think of that, think of that as a personal one-on-one relationship. So, okay, so we've got two people in a room. And they can either be at war or they can love each other. And one of them has this diplomacy of telling the other what they are. Now, from that, a lot of different things can stem. Because you can say, this is what I am, and defend it quite strongly, and then be drawn to the people who will reinforce that. So these would be what we call strong personality types. Or people with an ego, with their own identity that they're they're full of themselves, or they're arrogant, which is not which is not necessarily arrogance. You can have a actually quite humble identity, and yet have it as a strong identity that you really want upheld by the people around you. And this comes back to well, telling someone what they are and someone being told what they are and having the clash between them. Now, these two people in this room and this one person that's telling them who they are, well, there's, there's a dynamic there which is going to make them love or fight. And this is diplomacy. This is a kind of talking which can lead to, well, it can actually lead to the second of our four principles of the mechanics of war. Now, there's also public discourse and commentary. There's also personal manipulation, which is... I mean, the personal manipulation, we can slot that in with a kind of... just one of the little sort of examples of a psychological relationship that's going on, or it's a sort of psychological trick that's going on there. So if you're... If you're using diplomacy with someone and you're manipulating them, well, you're not exactly telling them what they are or what you are. You're not exactly spreading beliefs per se, and you're not really agreeing or disagreeing with them, even though on the surface it might be that way. So manipulation is sort of, let's just leave that in the basket as this little thing. So public discourse, commentary, the social commentary sphere, the human conversation, this sort of thing, these sorts of things, these are the larger versions of diplomacy. Now, granted, 
within those certain spheres, what we have is many of the smaller components of diplomacy, like spreading of beliefs and telling people what they are. But it all comes back to this fundamental thing is that we're moving towards shared understanding. We're moving towards shared worldview. So that's a little bit about diplomacy. Now, to think of the image of diplomacy in the sense of war, well, we have countries. I mean, I mean, think of diplomacy in terms of international relations, right? In that sense, what we have is huge complexes as to how that conversation unfolds and large motives for what can be gained, right? So th- this is war when there's no war. It's war when it's really collective and peacetime. But it's still a kind of war. It's still an important principle. that it's, it's still the important principle that it is, which is diplomacy. So countries are, well, what, I mean, what do they do? They have, they have representatives. They have policies. They have laws. And their motives are, well, for big things like natural resources and trade. And how do they work? Well, they work in big teams of people with translators at big conferences with politicians, with political interests and public interests and all sorts of, I mean, it's just this huge thing. It's this massive complicated ball of intricacy of these things trying to work themselves out. That's diplomacy. Now, with the this image of countries using diplomacy to relate to each other, now bring now let's bring it back to your your husband or wife, your boyfriend or girlfriend, or your whoever your significant other is, who you love, right? Now, that is the far opposite because when you are really loving someone, you don't want a trade agreement from them. You don't have a motive to get a tax break or a tariff break or some sort of thing that you gain from them. You, you really just love them unconditionally. You love them for who they are. And the way that that unfolds, the way that diplomacy happens, is the opposite to how it happens between nations. Now, think of it happening between nations. They're, they're talking for a long time. They're using technical terms. They're referring to documents. They have to have certain procedures and there's certain like it's just this huge complicated thing now when you're talking with your significant other it's the opposite of that it's simple it's clear it's peaceful it hasn't got a hidden agenda there's no manipulation there's no dirty beliefs coming through It's, it's really, it's really, it's, it's purity. It's a kind of purity. Now, that is not to say that nations can't relate to each other in this huge, complicated sphere without purity. There can be smooth, flowing relations on 
all levels. So don't take this to mean that, well, an individual love is better than this huge, gargantuan complex that we have, which is two relation, uh, a relation between two nations using diplomacy. But the spectrum is there to understand, because it is all diplomacy. It is all coming into a common understanding, a shared worldview. And, and there's something funny about the, word, the, the phrase common understanding, because that can mean, well, we should all have the same beliefs, which is not the case at all. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So, of course, that's not what's meant. Maybe that's maybe that's not it's not quite the right phrase. I mean, what I mean, what can we say which would illustrate diplomacy as its fundamental directionality? And really it's it's love. I mean, this is why you use diplomacy, right? Without getting into motivation, or without saying that everything wants to go towards love. We don't even need to use that at this stage. It is that diplomacy is a kind of love. Well, not... See, there's there's not enough word. There are not enough words for this. That's a tangle. Let's just let's just sweep that aside because that's not really working. So let's just tie up now diplomacy as the first of our four pillars of the mechanics of war. And I hope those images and those contrasts can get you a picture of how that works and why that is the case. Now. As for the second pillar of the mechanics of war, we have escalation. So escalation is when more is at stake. And this is how war starts, right? You punch me, I punch you. Now you feel a bit upset about how I punched you, so you feel you need to get back at me. So you hit me with a club. So I hit you with a club. So you shoot me with a gun, and I shoot you with a gun. You shoot me with a tank, and I shoot you with a tank. And you shoot me with a missile, and I shoot you with a missile. So that's escalation. That's our picture of the ABC cartoon version of escalation. Now, escalation is a component that goes all the way throughout war and love. It's in both of them. And it's used, it's done, it exists in relation to and concordantly with diplomacy, right? So with your diplomacy, you've got escalation. When you're talking with someone, when you're negotiating with someone, like think of, think of the hostage situation, right? That's a kind of diplomacy. That's a kind of escalation. 
what they are trying to do with their diplomacy in a hostage situation, if there's someone who's trained to talk this, like it's a whole craft, it's a whole art, they're trying to de-escalate the situation. The whole reason a hostage situation is so tense is because the escalation is there. It's because the stakes are so high. You don't want that person, that hostage, to be killed. It's someone's life in their hands. And of course, the reason that the person is in that situation, the person who is taking the hostage, is because things have escalated for them. There's a history to that person. Just like there's a lead-up to a war between nations, that person has had personal situations, personal motives, personal behaviours, and their narrative has unfolded in a way that has led them to the point where they've got someone as hostage and they are threatening to kill them. So think of a poker game. Think of guys sitting around the table, smoking their cigars, drinking their cocktails, and they're playing poker. Now that's the perfect image of escalation, because in poker, you can bluff, right? You can say, well, here's the money. And then the other guy says, well, I, you, you want to bet that much? Well, I bet that much too. And then you have this little escalation of, oh, oh, who can do it more? Who's going to do it more? Who's going to back down? Is he bluffing? Well, I bet you even more. Are your cards really worth that much? And he says, well, yeah, I am. And that's the whole thrill of, well, playing poker. It's escalation. It's upping the stakes. And that's how we lead to war. That's how we get to war. It's because things become more and more tense. Now, there's no way you can equate the complexities of international relations with the image of some guys bluffing over a poker table. There really is just no comparison. But the principle of escalation is there. The principle is there. And even if it's not a matter of one-upping them, even just standing your ground, that is a kind of escalation. Because escalation has some kind of aggression on at least one of the sides, right? Someone isn't, and then the other side is being strong in themselves. They're standing their ground, right? That's all it really takes. And and so many, so many war, so much war analysis is put like this, right? Who was the aggressor? Who was the defender? That sort of thing. And of course, you can even put that on your personal relationship, right? Who who's the one being defensive, and who's the one being aggressive? in the relationship. That's exactly the same as countries relating to each other in a time of war. Now, standing your ground, that's still a kind of escalation 
that's still playing into escalation. That's still having the like you know you've got your two magnets pushing to pushing into each other when they're facing the wrong way and they're actually meant to be repelling each other. So, so much is in upping the stakes. So much is in seeing, well, can you, I mean, can you really, I mean, part of me wants to say that there's no such thing as an aggressor. There's something that, there's something that really makes sense in that. And I know that sounds, that's, that's, that's crazy, right? Because we judge people as evil. We say these people are evil. They have obvious motives for self-gain. They obviously wanted the natural resources for their country, right? So they were the aggressor. And maybe, maybe this is where words break down and we have to say, well, actually, in the dynamics of war, there are always aggressors. There is always an aggressor. But still, something is, something is telling me that there's, there's two sides to that. Because if we look at escalation, it really only works for an aggressor to get as far as they can if there's someone on the other side. And this, well, maybe this is why there is escalation. This is why people can stand their ground so long, because they can still think good of themselves as the non-aggressor. I'm not the aggressive one in the argument. I'm just defending myself. And that as a self-image can lend itself to actually becoming harder and more dug into your own standing, which forces, in a twisted way, the aggressor to become more aggressive. And to see this in a relationship, to point this out, to actually reveal it in that moment when there's heightened tension between two people, well, I don't know if there would be a way to do that. I mean, the best thing that we can do is understand this dynamic and not find ourselves in those situations. I mean, maybe we leave it to the therapists to apply this theory, how it actually happens in real time. I don't know. I mean, I mean, could you sit down and, and explain this to two people when they're in, a, in the middle of a fight? I mean, surely there, there would have to be methods by which you could bring them to seeing that as a dynamic within themselves. Because, of course, you've also got the problem of point of view, right? That's a big one to consider. So we leave that to the therapists and we stay in this conversation with the theory, with the concept, with the idea. So escalation. Now, escalation, think of think of your loved one. Think of your significant other. Think of that, that one person who you love so much. And now apply escalation to that relationship. 
Now, you've heard this before, right? I, I, I love that person more than anything in the world. I love that person more than I, I would give everything. I would die for that person. I would, I would give everything that I have and I would die for that person. Now, that's escalation in love. That's escalation in that personal relationship. And if you have that sense of giving everything, the, the stakes are high, right? The, high, the highest escalation you can think should be the thing that's driving your love for that person. Imagine that as, a, as an idea that you should live up to. How raging would that love be? How passionate? How much, how much fire would there be in that relationship? And how exactly would that come up? Right? It's only in those times of war, it's only in the times of distress, of great turmoil, that someone gets to say, I would die for you. Right? It's only in those times that they would really, it, it would be, it would, you know, it's, it's like, in, in what situation is that appropriate? Or in, in what situation is that likely to be said? And think of how many, so many relationships actually are. It's like, can you take the trash out? Ugh, no. I don't want to do that for you. <laughs> oh, nag, nag, nag. You're so controlling. <laughs> and that's why it's, I mean, that's why those relationships are bitter. That's why there's a bitterness in that. Because it should be, I will do anything for you. And how it really is, is just, ugh, whatever. Who cares? I'm sick of you. I'm thinking I'm going to leave you soon anyway. I want to be with someone else. Why can't you change? You haven't changed. These sorts of thoughts. And really, it can be a kind of wake-up call for the relationship. What's at stake? Like, do you want to end this marriage? Do you want to end it? Like, that's that's the real that's the real classic escalation, right? It's me, or or get out. Me or no one. Or <laughs> well, maybe uh, let's not get into that one. That that one's a bit of <laughs> it's me or no one. That's a oh. Let's not go there. We're not going that far. <laughs> let's let's put this. Let's turn this a different way. It's it. Okay, here's okay. Here's another one. Here's a good one. This friend says to me, after a while, when you've been dating this girl, you either you either marry her or you break up with her, right? So that that's another example. That's an, that's another good way to put it. After a while, you do either say, well, okay, we've been together for a while, so are you, are you going to marry me or what? And that can go both ways. 
right? It can either lead to like the like the man going down on one knee, right, at the at the dinner table in front of everyone, and he holds out that ring and says, "Will you marry me?" Right? That's escalation. That's why it's so beautiful, right? You hold your breath, like when you see someone going down on their knee in the fancy restaurant. I mean, I've never, I've never been in that situation, but we see it in the movies all the time, right? Because we love to see it in the movies, of course, of course, for this reason. You hold your breath, right? And you go, oh my God. And then you look at her and you say, well, what is she going to say? Right? Escalation. The stakes are high. Those, those are some seriously high stakes, right? This guy's putting everything on the line. He's down on one knee. He's gone out and bought that bloody expensive ring, which some poor Ethiopian kid has been in slavery to dig up. That's another issue that we might get into <laughs> another day. But you hold your breath and, and look at the two ways it can go. She says yes, and everyone claps and cheers. Streamers go everywhere. They open a bottle of wine and they kiss, and it is glorious. It is a glorious thing, that moment when a man and a woman decides to get married. Or in some states, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, wherever you are. Every part of the world is different. When two people, we can just say, two, whoever they are, when two people get there, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And look at the other side of it. Because if she says no, if she, if, if, she says, if she says anything, anything at all, apart from yes, it's a tragedy, right? There, there, there's, no, there's no in between. She can't, say, she can't say, let me think about it. She can't say, oh, oh maybe, or I'm, I'm still not sure, right? That, that's not going to fly. It's either yes or it's tragedy. Now, it does happen that sometimes the woman realizes in that moment because she hadn't had that. Like if it, if it comes as a shock to her and she's given this ultimatum, she might realize herself, well, actually, when you put it like that, I don't like you. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. You just, you know, pick up a glass of wine, throw it in his face and just storm out, and they are never going to talk again, right? And, and think of how that man is going to feel. I mean, he's fucked, right? You, you, I mean, when you ask someone to marry them, and, and they say no, you're, you're basically fucked, right, in every way. There's, there's no two ways about that. So that's escalation. Yeah, now some people do come about their marriages through a way of diplomacy. But even in that, even in that is, di- is escalation, right? So escalation and diplomacy are together, right? So this is the guy and the girl who are in, in this relationship and, they, and she just sort of has this comment like, oh, oh, oh that, that, that couple on the TV the other day, they're really cute that they got married, right? You know, just that, that, little, converse, that little comment, Right, that's escalation and diplomacy coming together, and there's and there's so many ways in which that plays out. I mean, it might be an ongoing conversation in your relationship, and if you're married, can you remember how it was? 
Can you remember how much diplomacy there was? I mean, there, I mean, there's always a mix, right? I mean, I, I would say it, it's sort of fair to say that there's always, there's always a pleasant surprise when someone asks you to marry them. And then there's also always a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of, you know, sussing it out. Do you think she likes me? Or maybe we should talk about it in this way. And some couples are just all diplomacy. And and getting married for them is a very natural... I mean, it depends where you are. I mean, some, some people get married and it's it's just sort of like... A <laughs> for some people, it's just paperwork. <laughs> Some people do it for the paperwork. I need a I need a green card. Can you marry me? <laughs> I need a visa. Can you marry me? <laughs> so that's a and that's funny, right? Because I need a visa. I need a think of this. Oh my goodness. What a what an epiphany this is. I need a visa. Will you marry me? Right? That is in one line. In one sentence, in one instance, you have the the entire relationship of two individuals and the entire relationship of two countries. It's the perfect image of diplomacy and escalation. It's the perfect image of of love and war. So, those are two, two of the four. And now we come to the third component. And I, and I'm noticing now that when I look at these, it's sort of like it's sort of like we've got two that are principles and two that are things that you can do. I mean, you can, I mean, escalation is a doing and diplomacy is a doing. So maybe that's not a fair, I mean, they're principles and doings. I mean, mean, maybe this isn't a good thread, that maybe this is not a good way of categorizing. I mean, do we need to split the four into two pairs? Maybe not. But really, I'm looking at it and it's like, this is another side to the same coin of escalation, which is not exactly de-escalation. It's, and, and really it's not right to set it up this way. So let me just, I mean, yeah, I mean, a, a good way to do, a, a good way to look at this is, so if we say that love and war is diplomacy and escalation, you can say, well, what else can you do? You can either escalate the situation and it becomes more intense, or you can use words. And what happens really when both of those don't work? What happens when those break down, right? Because escalation between two countries is like more guns, more ammunition, 
more artillery, more death, more soldiers, more bombs, right? That's just constant escalation. But what happens really beyond that? And, and I'd say it's that it's, it's retreating. Because when you realize there's someone bigger than you who has more guns and more bombs, you run away. And I think, well, this applies much more to the individual sphere than it does to the countries, because countries have their geographical limitations. They have their places. And really, this, this, is, this is why there is so much war for many, in many ways. It's, it's, it's simply just what war is for in many, many epochs. It's for land. It's for... Well, it's the space, and you can't, you can't run away. It's because you can't retreat that there is a war. You can't just run away. And in so many instances, well, many people would like to. Many countries would have liked to. So I don't know if retreat applies. I don't know if we need to say too much about retreat on a war scale or a country scale. So let's think about this like, what does this feel like for an individual? And this is when you've had an argument with someone and you just want to run away. It's that moment where you say, I can't talk to you anymore. I just can't listen to you. I just don't want to be around this person. Now, one of my therapists, one of my teachers, sort of teacher slash therapist, had another way of putting this, and she called it triple F. And it was freeze, fly, or fight. So you can either freeze, fly, which is retreat, or run away, or you can fight. And this is another little metric that we can put on love and war, and more so for the negative side of love or the opposite side of love. And, and just think, like, it makes sense, right? If you're in danger, remove yourself from danger. And fighting, standing your ground, takes so much. I mean, it's so much easier to run away. Like, like think, think, of the, think of the difference between having a confrontation with someone in any way and just traveling or moving to a different place, right? That's like, that's like comparing boxing with catching a train. And that's really what the logic is behind retreat. Because even if, even if you're stronger than someone, right? Say, say we've got two sides. For someone to be able to defend or attack so efficiently that it costs them no hurt, they have to be a certain proportion stronger they have to be in 
a certain way more powerful. So within that band, there's not much room for like, you know, I mean, how, how often is that proportion going to be up there? And someone's going to be aggressive to you. It's almost it's almost like, you know, you 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 seven ton, you seven foot bodybuilder, is being attacked by some skinny neck guy. And how how often is it that that skinny neck guy is actually going to be aggressive, right? Not very often. So in most cases, the difference is much closer if not for the cases where, well, they're actually stronger than you altogether, right? And if that's obvious and that's clear, which in many cases of aggressors it is, then it's, it's, it's so logical just to run away. It's so logical just to say, I've had enough. And you see, this is the situation we're in with love. Because when you see what's at stake with love, you see that hurt. You see that pain. Just think of the man who has just proposed to this woman and she said no. Think of this kind of love where this man or this woman says, I will die for you. And that is what we run away from. That is what we retreat from. That is what we avoid at all costs for our own survival. And it really, in so many ways, does make things easier just to remove yourself from someone's life. I mean, life just has mostly the relationships that we happen to find ourselves in. And because of the changing nature of life, for any relationship to be sustained long term, well, takes an effort. It takes a real trust. It takes a real infrastructure, if we can say it that way. It takes commitment. It takes stepping up. It takes duty. It takes loyalty. Just like the soldier does when he goes off to war. Think of the difference... Think of the difference between conscription and changing your life to be in a relationship with someone, right? So, so there's the polar opposite. The guy that gets conscripted to go to war, he has no choice and he has to go around to the other side of the world to do something that he doesn't want to do at all. It's the last thing he wants to do. 
Now, love is the opposite of that. Love is, hey, baby, you want me to move to the other side of the world? I'll quit my job tomorrow. We can go there. Hey, baby, I'll quit my job. I'll, I'll throw it all out the window for you because there is no greater joy than loving you. Let's do it. Let's go. And, and, and you sort of see this in, the, in those men that have been married for so long and then they have an affair and then they turn up with the girl at their wife's doorstep and say, oh, I want a divorce because I'm going to leave with this pretty young thing. And she's gorgeous and she's beautiful and she's funny and she's smart. And she's, oh, she's got this great career and she's so good to him. She adores him. It's this beautiful thing. But you can see, well, all these mechanics play into that. I mean, I just see, see all of it in that. Like you've got escalation, diplomacy, duty, and retreat. That's a, that's a kind of retreat, right? The guy that runs away from his wife. That's a kind of running away from the, the, the boring, just old, ugh, are we still in this marriage? Why are we still in this marriage? The kids have already left home. It's like run away. Run away with that other girl. And really, I mean, let me let me try and say why I'm I mean, I mean, what's the most important thing to learn from this? Is it that you shouldn't run away? Like is that the message? Surely not, right? There there must be the right time to run away. It must be the right time to remove yourself from a person's life. But if we see it as if we see it as love, if we see it as an opportunity missed for love, then really there's no reason to run away. But we do because the, pl- the diplomacy hurts. We do because the stakes are high. The escalation is getting out of hand. And we can only see hurt and we only want our survival. And really you can say that there's a bigger thing at stake that you don't understand. which is that if you run away from this person, you will have missed the chance to love them again. You will have missed the chance to love them with maturity. You will have missed the chance to learn about love, to actually face love. Think of the Think of the man and the wife, sort of, I mean, I hope we're not doing too much on the 
classic heterosexual relationship. It's just our working example. I mean, it can be any relationship, right? But think of the man and the wife where the wife says, you're never going to leave me, are you? You would never leave me. Now, that's one dynamic. And then the other side of this is the man or, or the woman. I mean, it can go both ways. I mean, I'm just saying it's the man or the woman this way because it's most common. But let's put it both sides on the woman. So we've got this woman and she says, oh, you're never going to leave me, are you? I hope you never leave me. We'll, we'll always be together. You'll never run away. And then there's the woman that says, well, uh, I could replace you in a second. There's nothing special about you. I'm the one who's got it. You can take it or leave it. You can you can leave any time you want, honey, and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. Right? Now, both of those are in relation to love. Both of those are a dynamic on how these two people are relating to each other. And you could say that, well, actually, both of those are not very loving. They are, they are a kind of war, like des- desperation, clinging to someone, saying, oh, no, don't leave me. A dependency, like a, like a sick kind of dependency, that's a kind of war. That's a kind of pathology. That's a kind of, well, not, not loving relationship, right? So why not understand both of these in order to have a loving relationship? Which is that I can run away anytime I want and I'm not going to. Imagine that as a virtue. Imagine that as a dynamic to hold at the front of your being with your relationship. If I want to, I can never speak to you again and never see you again and it will be fine. But I am not going to do that. Because I love you and I don't run away. I don't stand down from the hard things. I don't stand down from my duty. I don't stand down from my commitment. I don't stand down from being a better person. From learning about love. From learning about the challenges that I've got. I don't run away. And of course, I could run away. I mean, David, David Data puts this in his book, Way of the Superior Man, by saying, be ready to change anything at a moment's notice. Be ready to change everything at a moment's notice. And you can see this also in the guy that gets conscripted to war, Right? Because this guy who's been conscripted to war, well, he can say, well, I'm not going to step down from my duty. I'm not going to back down. I've been called. I've been called to arms. Well, this is my chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do what my 
nation has required of me and there's, there's a power in that yeah you can see you can see the difference of the attitude in that in that man like the man who resents being conscripted and the man who steps up to it well they have very different attitudes they have very different powers to them they have very different flavors to them now of course, I'm not pro-conscription. <laughs> Don't take this. Uh, I really should have put that disclaimer somewhere somewhere earlier in the conversation. <laughs> Look, conscription is a terrible thing. And in fact, war and military don't even get me started. Right? There's so much wrong with the, the ways that the military works. That's, that's not what we're discussing. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about mechanics here. We're talking about psychological structures. So don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, is this guy is this guy pro conscription? Oh my goodness. I've never heard of such an outrageous thing in this century. <laughs> oh, please don't get me wrong. <laughs> so I don't know if I've hit that point. I mean, maybe I'm beating it to death, but let let me try and put it let me try and put it as simply as I can. You can you can either love someone or you can run away. You can withdraw. Yeah, you can withdraw from someone. Now, in this way of talking, when I say love, I really mean relate to them in the grand pantheon of the colossal complexes that go with relating to a human being, which isn't just all lovey-dovey feelings, it's also hate and fear and pain. But really, that pain, that hate, that fear is the barrier for love which begins when you say you won't run away you won't retreat because think of it this way think of it like and and I mean this goes for all of these right here's another way to think about these they they all apply in this way both diplomacy diplomacy escalation and retreat think of Think of an elderly Japanese woman. And this woman is in 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 wait, did I say Japanese or Chinese? Let's say let's say Japanese. Actually no, let's go Chinese because I have no listeners in China. So there's no chance that anyone will hear this in China. I I think I only have one listener in Japan. If you're from Japan, shout out to anyone who's in Japan listening to the Andrew Lake podcast. I think I have had at least a couple of episodes downloaded in Japan. But this is a tangent. So let, let's say Chinese, because I know I have no listeners in China. Imagine an elderly Chinese woman who you've never met before. You don't know her name. You've never even been within a, in a thousand miles of each other. And no one she knows, knows anyone you know. And you don't even speak the same language. 
you have nothing in common. Now, this lady, there's no relationship between you and her. And the reason I say Chinese lady is because, or maybe you can think of someone in some other countries. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick someone who's, like I'm trying to pick someone who's the most unlikely culturally for you to be able to imagine clearly of what they're really like, of what it would actually be like for you to relate to them. So maybe maybe, maybe it's not a good example to say from, they're from China or from anyone. I mean, you could pick anyone, right? So imagine this person who you've never met and you have no, you really have no, like, let's make this deeper. Let's say there's a person where you don't even know where they're from. You don't know if they're from, from China or Japan or Timbuktu. Now, there are people in that category in your life. And these people you don't relate to, right? There's no diplomacy between you. There's no escalation between you. And in that sense, you're not retreating from them, yeah? Now, retreat, running away, means you never talk to them again. But in the cases where you've never related to the person, well, that's not retreat. That's not running away. And this proves, this is the point that retreat is a kind of relation. Retreat is a kind of love. It's a kind of response that is in with war. which is what your relationships are. You must realize that. We, we are at war. You and me, right? This is a war. This very conversation. And the stakes are high. And the diplomacy continues. And even if you feel you've retreated, you've really just played into mechanics that you don't understand. And you don't understand it because you don't know that love is a war. Everything either falls into fear or love. You've heard that one, right? That old cliche, that old dichotomy, fear or love. Well, that applies here to retreat, to running away. You run away because you're afraid. And that fear is founded because there is real pain. And that pain is what's at stake. It's what has to be at stake. When we're talking about something as profound and as beautiful as love. So the key insight for understanding retreat 
is that if there's anything you're running away from, it's that you can't get love and you should from that thing. It's that it's fested, or another another way to put this is that it's fested into a war when it should have been love. It should have been beautiful. It should have been a point of joy for you, a point of comfort, a point of opening to something new. And I say it as a thing when really, when really I mean a relationship. If you run away from a person, it's because you love them. It's because you really, really love them a lot. And they hurt you. They hurt you with that. Think, think of the man who's just proposed to this, this woman and she says no. Think of how much hurt is in that, how much pain is in that. And we are hurt the most by those that love us because they're the ones that have the power to do so. Now, there is another thread to all this, which you might have picked up on, which is just coming up now, and that is power. So you can say, well, Dosta, you've got diplomacy, you've got escalation, you've got retreat. Where does power come into this, right? And I don't think that's a helpful skewer. I don't think that's really something we necessarily need to thread through all of this. And really the only thing we need to say is that the greatest power is seeing. That's the, that's the only thing you need to understand about power is if you see how something works, you can see something for what it really is, then that is the only power. And maybe we can make another pass through all of this with power as a skewer. Maybe that's a maybe that's a conversation for another day. But really the the attitude that I've got now, the thing that I really want to have with all this that we're just saying in, in this conversation specifically today is that, well, seeing is power. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to understand. That's what that that's what we're doing. In this very moment, we're seeing the mechanics of war. We're seeing how love is a war. If you, if you can see how war works, you can see how love can be. Because you simply, you simply just don't do the things that war does in order to love. That's a, that's a good way to put it, right? 
stop doing the things that stop you from loving. Right? That's a profound thing to see. What is stopping you from loving? Now, what, what's stopping you from loving this person? Well, they just don't listen to me. They don't understand me. I don't understand them. I can't talk to them. Well, that's diplomacy, isn't it? What's stopping you from loving this person? Well, they're, uh, they're just too intense. They're too aggressive. Or they're too, they're too clingy. They're too loving. They're too affectionate. Well, that's escalation, isn't it? Or it can be a lack of escalation. You see, what's, what's stopping you from loving them? Ah, oh, well, they're just boring. They're just not interesting. It's just like, oh, who would love them? They're so boring. In that case, there's not enough at stake. There is no escalation. And what's stopping you from loving them? Well, you've run away from them. You can't stand to be around them. You feel endangered by them. By being in their presence. And that's retreat. And that really is a good question, I think. Like, what's... Yeah, I remember I remember the first time that was asked to me. It hit me like, oh my God. What is stopping you? And I mean, that was a... That was a pretty... Yeah, that was really at the depths of it. When I, I, I was really in the depths of it when it happened. And... And yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of my personal story I want to share at this stage, but I mean, I had this person turn to me and they said, well, what what's stopping you from having love or from loving right now? And my answer to that was that I I won't love someone unless they love me back like I want to love you so that you can love me and that really gets to the heart of it I think that really gets to the whole thing of well what are your conditions what are you expecting and when I got asked that, it was so it was so obvious that it was all on me. It was like having it all put onto, like all my responsibilities put straight back in my face. So answer that for yourself. Like, what's stopping you from loving? And you don't have to use diplomacy, escalation, or retreat as metrics to plug into it. It's really just a good question. And realize that whatever answer, whatever answer that you come up with that, well, it's your psychology. It's your reasoning. It's your complex. It's completely personal. And really, if you've answered the question well with some awareness, then you're starting to see that, well, Okay, it is within me, which means I can change it. I can actually work with it. 
And therefore, you can take some steps to actually having some responsibility for your ability to love. Yeah? How, how's that for a, a mature approach to love? Like, like, whose responsibility is it how much love is in your life? Whose responsibility is it that you can have love and all the things that go along with it, like peace and beauty and clarity and ecstasy and kindness and warmth and sensitivity and grounding and understanding and connection and all the rest of it that is love. Now, we come to our fourth pillar of the mechanics of war. And this is the big one. This is the one which I take from Osho. And it's really his talk on this that shakes the whole thing apart. It really just balls all of it out of the water. And it really, it really destroys everything that we've said up until now because you can be you can be saying like well what can i do in my situation right i can either talk about things i can escalate or i can run away are those the only three options that i have they don't seem like very good options they seem quite limited for many situations they seem like they seem like they don't guarantee that you'll be able to get back to real love, right? I mean, if you're at war, there's no guarantee that diplomacy will lead to love. There's no guarantee that escalation will lead to love. There's definitely no guarantee that running away will lead to love. That might be the most far-fetched one, right? How is that how is that any sort of strategy to get back to goodness running away? <laughs> You're really just removing danger. But this fourth one, this fourth one really it's the silver bullet. And in so many ways it's the most brutal. The most shocking, the most insane thing to put as a virtue for your personal relationships and you do need to understand that this is this is high theory we're talking about we're talking about concepts which apply on very deep levels so they don't always work on the surface level and of course that's what osho was like that's what he was talking about 
He was going for the depth. He was going for the meaning. He was going for the juice. So, what is it? What is this fourth pillar? And I'll tell you what it is. It's surrender. Surrender to love. Have you heard that phrase before? And it's so beautiful how Osho talks about surrender. He talks about surrendering to existence. Surrendering to God. He also talks about surrendering to the master. A true master is someone you you have to you have to surrender to. Maybe that's something we can explore more. Maybe that's something we can put in to another conversation. But really think think of what goes with surrender. Think of think of how counterintuitive it is. Think of how much pain there is. Think think of well what's happening in a country when they're at war and they surrender. What does the winning country do? Well, they put all of these brutal constrictions on them. They put economic constrictions on them. And they take everything that they've got from them. So don't think of this as some kind of trick of like, oh, if I surrender, then I'm going to be in this state of, oh, everything's beautiful and blissful because I have love. Ah, no, not at all. Surrender comes with the pain. Surrender, surrender is really the opposite of retreat. Right? And when you do the when you do the opposite of retreat, it doesn't mean that you have I mean it's it doesn't mean that the consequences don't come, right? Whatever the consequences were that you were running from still come. There is still pain. There is still the hurt. And I mean, look at, look at the figures in history who were beacons of love, we could say. Just, just take, someone like, take someone like Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or not, take him as a historical figure. Someone like Jesus. Look at, look at surrender and how that plays into love for the image of Jesus. Now, what happened to Jesus? Do you know where he ended up? Do you know how things turned out for him? It's a pretty famous story. Most people know it. Jesus ended up being killed. He ended up being tortured. And you see what he did. And it wasn't diplomacy. It wasn't escalation. 
and he didn't run away. He surrendered. He simply accepted what was coming to him. And he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. This is just love. This is just compassion. This is just the the beauty coming out of Jesus as he surrenders to, well, what, I mean, what did he surrender to? For what reason? By so many accounts, he didn't really need to be crucified. I mean, whether you say he was a, you know, I mean, you, you got the Christian theology sitting in the corner saying like, well, Jesus was the son of God. He was perfect. So he was innocent, right? Well, you don't even need to do that, right? I mean, what, what could have he really done that was so bad? All, all he really did wrong was just piss off some people by talking against the establishment, right? He was a political, philosophical, religious activist. And not, I mean, activist isn't, activist isn't the right word. He was a, I want to say innovator, but that's not the right word. And uh, I mean, you could say spiritual visionary. I I don't want to say leader. I want to say, I mean, he was a mystic. He was a, yeah, I mean, the, the, the words escape me for what it is that exactly the effect was that Jesus had on his culture around him in his time. But whatever it was, right, it wasn't really worth him being tortured over. Someone having their belief systems pissed off is not really what he's deserved to get for what he's like it doesn't lead him to deserve what he got he got and i mean i don't know i don't know if really jesus serves as the best example because there's so much religious baggage that came after that there's so much of the story that has been tied up in it but the image of someone submitting to their torture, surrendering to their torture. That is an image of love. That is an image of really war being turned into love. And it's, and it's in an act of surrender that you find the ability to turn war back to what it should be, which is love. And I mean, imagine applying this to your own personal relationship. Imagine, imagine you're in the heat. You know, you you're in this heated argument where the escalation is high, and you feel like running away, and diplomacy's all broken down, and you just say, "Okay, ah, I've had enough. I surrender." Now, surrendering it's not quite the same as giving up. 
It's not quite the same as saying, oh, I'm not going to go on with this. Surrender is, you actually have to accept what they're saying. Right? That's why, that's why diplomacy does break down, because you don't accept what they're saying. You don't, expect, you don't accept what's being ex- expelled from their mouth through words. Whereas when you surrender, well, then you've tipped it back in the other way. And may, maybe we can say that there are, there are like degrees of surrender, right? If we, let, let, I mean, let's put, let's put this into a scale. So if you've, got, if you've got Jesus on the one hand, where he says, I surrender and they crucify him, right? And, and it's torture. Well, that's like surrender on one scale. Now, far across the other end of the spectrum where we've got our diplomacy and we're, and we're talking and you, say, say you're having a conversation with someone in the bar and you're talking about free will or something and you say, yes, I sort of see what your point is there and I agree with you a little bit just on what you've just said now. Now, that's a kind of micro surrender, right? That's a kind of little giving in. That's a kind of taking their other side, right? Now, imagine imagine that as a principle for navigating all of these things. Imagine, imagine surrender as like anytime you agree with someone, anytime you talk to them, well, anytime you talk to them, you agree with everything they say. Imagine that. And not just agree with them as in like playing lip service to them, like nodding your head and saying, oh yeah, I agree with you, just to sort of stir them up. But to actually to actually take that as like a like a burden within your psychology of, okay, I have to find anything within myself that would disagree with this and tell it, that it's wrong and like actually like like humble myself actively deeply imagine that imagine imagine how how different that is to trying to use diplomacy to get your way to further your motives and imagine what this does for escalation Right? Surrender just completely nullifies escalation. Turn the other cheek, says Jesus, right? That old saying, that old chestnut, that old proverb, it's the same principle. So you can see this as a principle within the man. Now, if we look at all the religious figures of the world, we can see an element of surrender. Now, some more than others, and some in twisted ways, and some in not. I mean, Muhammad was a warlord. So, but, you know, I mean, after all that we've said, can you see, can you see the connection there that Muhammad was a warlord and yet so many people loved him, right? Surely we don't need to say much to make that connection after all that we've been through in this conversation. And really, in the case of Osho, the man himself, I mean, I can see someone who 
definitely very much understood surrender for himself. And really, it's quite hard to say anything at all about his own experiences of I mean I mean we can only wonder, right? We can only ponder. With a with a person like Osho, it's it's like he was he was here on this planet and now he's gone and we're left to pick up the pieces. And we'll be picking up the pieces for centuries to come, sort of thing, right? So like how much can we really say? But there's another side to this which is that in certain ways you do need to understand your own personal boundaries. So you can't take this as, you can't take any of these as sort of, I mean, I mean, the golden rule is you can't take any one principle and apply it to all of your relationships. Really, these four things, diplomacy, escalation, retreat, and surrender, they should be more seen as like a, a, a leverage to get something unstuck. So if you're in a relationship and it feels stuck or it's not going somewhere, then apply one of these mechanics, apply one of these principles. But don't take that to mean that you can run around and say, okay, so this is a virtue that I need to apply to every relationship. And if I could just if I could just surrender, I'll be just like Jesus. I'll have so much love. And that's really where we start to delve into more of the practical application. Like what does this really mean for when you are looking at your relationship? And you're saying, okay, now I've got these ideas in my head. Now what do I actually say to someone? What do I have to do to take the initiative to go out of my way to fix a relationship, to improve a relationship, to bring a relationship back to something that can be resembling a path towards love? And those sorts of thoughts are the end of war. They're the end of the fighting. They're the end of the arguing. They're the starting to become mature within oneself. They're the starting to open up to a more clear way of seeing the situation seeing our own complexes, seeing what's going on and seeing what's at stake. Because I have to say this again, and I will say it again, and I'm saying it again and again, and I'll say it many times. We are at war. Love is a war. And it would do us all a hell of a lot to lay that war to rest, to get over it, to stand up and really 
really see that there's too much to lose. There's too much in losing what could be gained. And I think ultimately, really above all, people don't walk this path because they haven't really had experiences of love. They haven't felt what love is. They haven't been given love. And one one when one does catch a glimpse of that sheer magnificence well it's enough for anyone to do anything to stop the fighting to stop the arguing and to do the hard steps to take the initiative to get every single person that you can onto a path towards love. Now, I realize I've become quite somber, right? <laughs> I couldn't help becoming serious. And I don't, I don't want to end it on such a serious note. I don't want to leave it with such a profound thing hanging in the air. And of course, the profundity and the seriousness, that's all part of it. And I mean it. I mean every word of it. And uh, it, it's so tricky, isn't it? Just to, just to sort of snap yourself out of something. Like, I, I feel someone needs to throw a glass of water on my face or something. Just, hey... What are you talking about? Snap out of it. Come on. And, and really, I mean, that, that's another thing that really comes up sometimes because when you do dig into seriousness and mechanics and psychological complexes, then what you'll find is eventually you do snap out of it. You know, if you go to someone and you say, oh, you know, I felt... You go to someone with a kind of surrender and you say, look, I really feel bad about this and oh, I was a real ass and, you know, you, you were right all along and oh, I just feel terrible about it and, you know, is there any way you can forgive me? And, you know, in that, in that situation, it's sort of like, oh, no, no, forget about it. It's all right, you know? Like it, it's, so, it's so funny how the, the whole thing can just blow over, Right? I just forget about it. Now, if only if only countries relating to each other could be like that. And I wonder, I wonder how often it is like that. I wonder how many times, well, in history, it has just been like, well, they're not here anymore, and really it's the older generation that's now gone that suffered all that. So why are we holding a grudge at all? Right? Can you, can you imagine a country holding a grudge against another country? That, that doesn't really happen. 
It doesn't really work like that. I mean, that only works if there's a kind of propaganda at play. And maybe that's beyond my scope. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just making too many far-ranging fleets and there's too much to really connect. <laughs> there's too much to connect. <laughs> there's, there's so much to connect that I go so far out between the connections that they don't connect anymore. <laughs> oh, well, that is the truth, isn't it? But... Well, here's another tip for you. Snap out of it. I mean, that was an episode that I did a while ago. And I mean, don't let me divulge just yet into quoting old episodes. I mean, you can go back and listen to that one. That doesn't really apply here. But it could, right? That's a very simple, quick tip. But it could. Snap out of it. If only more people could just snap out of it. And these are some thoughts that have been bouncing around. And they've been bouncing around because of, well, the people I think about, like Osho and Jesus. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Christian. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair to call me a Christian. I mean if if I'm a Christian, I'm also a Muslim. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> don't tell grandma. <laughs> She's a much older generation. But, yeah, I mean... I wish... I mean, what do I wish? I, I mean, I wish I had these four pillars of the mechanics of war as like my life skills, right? Like diplomacy, the ability to talk to people and really connect with people and understand and have meaningful words and have their words mean something and really just navigate beautifully this interaction that we have through communication, right? How's that for an image of beautiful diplomacy? And then escalation. I wish I had that as a skill to both be able to say, look, I am here and I will die for the cause or I will die for you and really just go hard at the escalation. And then also to know when it's right to just say, hey, it's okay, we don't need to escalate. I accept what's coming. I accept that you're going to outdo me on this one. And then retreat. I mean, for me personally, oh man, there there is so much in my life that I've spent running away from. I have run away so many times from so many things. You could even call me an expert in running away. <laughs> I'm well practiced in running away. I know exactly what it means to retreat. So, believe me, there's a whole lot of work to be done there. And 
As for surrender, well, 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 you know, maybe, maybe surrender is one of those things that we just leave to the Osho types. I mean, I don't know if Osho is a type, <laughs> but the the spiritual leaders of the world, maybe we just leave that one to them, and we say, you know, we're just mere mortals. We're just the common folks. We're just the peasants. We're not. We're not going to get into such heavy stuff. We leave that to the the spiritual visionaries and the iconic humans of the human story. And we say, okay, so we can't have such deep things and we'll just work with those first three. And maybe, I, I mean, I don't want that to be like I'm, I'm laying off something or dodging away from work. I mean, sure, if you want to make surrender your virtue or one of your virtues to work on, why not? I mean, why should it just be the... I mean, that's why they're iconic figures, right? These people in history. Because they have something that we believe we should live up to in ourselves. I mean, why else is there interest in another person? And the ones that are demonized, the ones that are iconic, not in a beautiful way like Jesus or another religious figure, then, well, they have something in them that we see as terrible within us. And maybe that's too much of a psychological analysis. Maybe that's a story for another day that we can get into. I mean, I mean, what, what we're getting at there is that everything is projection. You can only see in someone else what is inside you. Now, take, as, take that as someone who's like a historical figure who had outrageously disgusting consequences of war. Someone like a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao or any of those sort of huge dictators and apply that to your psychological analysis of everything is projection. But that's a, that's a funny conversation that we can have for another day. So to conclude, war has four pillars. Diplomacy, escalation, retreat, and surrender. And if you can know through and through with your whole being, if you can see with an intense clarity the mechanics of war, you can see that love is a war. And if you can fight that war, if you can be in that, then you can find your path that will lead you back to a love that is beautiful, a love that is flowing, a love that is kind, a love that is warm, a love that is the kind of love that makes existence worth it, that makes life worth it. 
the kind of love that makes all the fighting and all the pain and all the suffering and all the frustration and all the hurt worth it. And that's all I have to say for now.